0: Throughout history, men and women have sought to change the world. Some tried using force and power, some tried using economics and money. As Christians, we're also interested in changing the world, but we go about it a different way. The way we live should be a shining example to others, but it's only the gospel of Jesus Christ that can truly change lives and even cultures. Stephen called this lesson, Changing the World the Right Way.
1: The Apostle Paul will spend more time in Corinth and Ephesus uh, than anywhere else. These were two of the largest cities in the empire, and the apostles seemed to understand the impact of reaching major cities with the gospel there within the Roman Empire. Well, Acts chapter 19 now picks up with Paul's third missionary journey and his return to the city of Ephesus. Paul must have sensed that something was incomplete among these new believers, this young church. He asks them here after he arrives in verse 2, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Well, their answer is no. We've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asks them here in verse 3, Into what then were you baptized? And they answer, into John's baptism. Paul replies here in verse 4, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, Jesus. Now, keep in mind, beloved, that John the Baptist was the last Old Testament prophet. He baptized people who repented and followed his teaching in anticipation of the coming Messiah. And just like Apollos, when he first came to Ephesus, these men here, uh, about 12 of them, verse 7 informs us, are following the teaching of John the Baptist and know nothing of the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Uh, they don't know anything about the church that's been created in, in recent months. Uh, they don't even know of the finished work of Christ on the cross. There there are no uh, online news services, beloved. There, there are no cell phones. It, it was much like in the early days in North America when news traveled very slowly. People on the West Coast didn't even know Abraham Lincoln had been elected president until three weeks later. Well, Paul now brings them up to speed, up to date, so to speak, into the dispensation of the church age. And verse 5 says, On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Well, they place their faith in Jesus as their Lord and Savior, and then they identify with his death and burial and resurrection through immersion in water, which is what the Greek word baptizo or baptize means. Now, with that— Paul lays his hands on them, and these men begin to speak in tongues and prophesy. Now, don't misunderstand this, as many do. This isn't an ongoing pattern today. This is a transitional period of time, and the book of Acts describes what's happening while the New Testament is still being written. It's incomplete. The New Testament epistles are going to make it clear that at salvation, every believer is baptized By the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ, and and the Holy Spirit takes up permanent residency in the believer. Your body becomes the temple of the Holy Spirit. This delay here in Acts chapter 19, along with the miraculous sign gifts, shows us that all these believers are equally a part of the church. By this delayed baptism of the Holy Spirit, they experienced the same thing the Jewish believers experienced back in Acts chapter 2, and what the Samaritans experienced in Acts chapter 8, then what the Gentiles experienced in Acts chapter 10. Well, now this group, we could call them Old Testament saints, those whom John the Baptist had prepared for Christ's coming They personally believe in Jesus, and now they equally receive the Holy Spirit. Everyone who was saved in the book of Acts didn't speak in tongues or prophesy, but these groups of people did, and that showed the world that these unique groupings of people are all equally a part of this new creation, the New Testament church. While teaching is Paul's primary ministry in Ephesus, we're told here in verse 11 that God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. Now, these miracles included healing and exorcism. And again, as we've discussed before, these miracles are designed to validate God's apostles in these early years as they lay the foundation of the church Beloved, we're not laying the foundation today. Uh, This is now, for us, 2,000 years later. Uh, Only God knows, but we just might be putting on the last few shingles before the church is completed. Now, some folks in Ephesus are fascinated with Paul's power to cast out demons in Jesus' name, so they're going to try their own hand at it. (laughs) We're told here in verse 13, some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists— undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Well, when they attempt that here in verse 15, the demon replies, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? The demonized man then begins to overpower these exorcists, and instead of getting rid of the demon, well, the demon gets rid of them. Now, God uses this event to produce some impressive results. Verses 17 to 20 tell us that holy fear falls upon all the people. Jesus' name is exalted. New believers confess their sins. Books of occultic magic and sorcery are all brought out into public, and they make, they make a bonfire out of it and burn it all. And the impact of the Christian community there in this city increases. Now, the rest of chapter 19 describes a riot that occurs in Ephesus, and it all begins with a silversmith named Demetrius, who fears he's going to go out of business when all these people begin following Jesus and they stop buying his little silver images of Artemis, the goddess of Ephesus. Artemis was worshipped as the goddess of earth and nature. She was an early form of of what people still worship today and often call Mother Nature. The temple to Artemis at Ephesus was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, and inside was a 20-foot-tall image of Artemis, which supposedly had fallen from the heavens, silversmiths, like uh, Demetrius well they got a booming business they're selling merchandise related to Artemis you could get little silver replicas of her image now if this were occurring today you'd be able to buy t-shirts and coffee mugs with her image uh, she's she's the brand of Ephesus and Christianity is ruining the brand so Demetrius stirs the entire city into an uproar. Verse 29 describes it. The city was filled with confusion, and they rushed together into the theater, dragging with him Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. By the way, the remains of this 25,000-seat amphitheater can still be seen in Ephesus today. Well, the crowd packs into this amphitheater, and verse 34 tells us that they, they just start chanting, and they chant for two hours. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Well, the town clerk, he finally settles the people down. He reminds them that a riot could bring serious repercussions from from Rome, And here in verse 37, he reminds them that the Christians really didn't blaspheme their goddess. They didn't attack Artemis. That's good for us to know, beloved. Uh, The Christians weren't picketing the silversmiths. Uh, They were simply sharing with everyone the gospel of Christ. And new believers began to live differently. Well, fortunately, the riot ends. People do indeed settle down. You know, I hear a lot of talk today, beloved, about how we ought to change our culture. We've never been commanded to change our culture. We've been commanded to make disciples. We certainly grieve over the evil we see in our culture, but we got to remember we weren't commanded to make bad people good, but to give people the gospel. We don't clean up our culture. We rescue people out of it. And the church needs to take its cue from the church here in Ephesus. They changed their culture not by chanting louder, "Great is the the God of Abraham." No, they changed their world by allowing the God of Abraham to change them. You know, if you're a student of church history, you've you've heard perhaps of the great a Welsh revival in the early 1900s that brought some 100,000 people to faith in Christ in just a few years. The social impact was astounding. Crime virtually disappeared. Judges had no cases to try and the jails were empty. Well, that revival swept into North America for a, a brief season and thousands of people in the United States were saved. In fact, one article in the Denver Post, dated January twentieth, nineteen 1905, reported that businesses were deserted and all worldly affairs were forgotten for two hours every midday. The article wrote that going to and coming from these prayer meetings, thousands of men and women radiated the spirit which filled them. Here you have an entire city, In the middle of a busy day, bowing, the article said, before the throne of heaven, asking the blessing of the King of the universe. Beloved, it's by changed lives that the world is changed for the glory of God. Let's live for him that way today. Well, until we set sail again next time, beloved, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.
0: That was Stephen Davey and a lesson called Changing the World the Right Way. This is The Wisdom Journey a production of Wisdom International. Claim your free membership in Friends of Wisdom. This group receives exclusive resources and offers from Stephen to help you follow Jesus and apply God's Word to your life. Visit wisdomonline.org forward slash friends and join us again on this wisdom journey.